available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network, we are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. That was impressive, David. Very good. Well, I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. That's the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. People ask, why are you introducing yourselves when the introduction already introduces you? I don't know. That's what we've been doing. We'll keep doing it. And we're the podcast of champions. That's why we do these things repetitively because that's who we are. We talk Pac-12 football each and every week or half of it's Pac-12 football and half of it's Disney princesses or Civil War generals or whatever we're going to talk about. But we do love talking about it. We try to break it all down. We got some news with National Signing Day this week. So we'll get all that in. Uh, answer your questions like we always do. We're a little bit later later in the week show. Uh, but we had, you know, great guest Brandon Huffman the last couple of weeks, and we'll do our best to uh, break down the final class rankings for all of the Pac-12 here in this episode. If you have any questions or comments, Pac-12podcast at gmail.com is the email address. You could call or text us with any kind of questions you have. 424-532-0678 is the number. You can tweet us at Pac-12podcast, and the website, as always, Pac-12podcast.com, where you can find all the old episodes, and get on that Reddit page, Podcast of Champions, and Talk with your fellow Pac-12 fans about what's going on in the Pac-12. And, of course, if you have an Apple podcasting app, and I do now, I got an iPhone, you can subscribe and rate us for sure. But also, we want to get that five-star rating, positive feedback from you, or negative feedback. But the five stars is what we really crave. And I think we got a few... Non-negotiable. Non-negotiable five-star ratings, everyone. But then then trash us in the the comments. We love those. Those are great. Yeah. Threaten us. I don't care. Just make sure it's a five-star review. Yeah. We love those. Encouraging threats. Uh, <laughs> this one, we got we got, we got, got a few new ones. We got a five-star review from Norm Friendly. Uh, subject line, great listen for non-serial killers and serial killers alike. This podcast <laughs> is great for all sorts of people, from those of us who enjoy not murdering strangers all the way to those of us who enjoy murdering strangers. Robbie and Dean do a great job and seem to have a great working relationship. <laughs> Other podcast hosts might judge their listeners for whether they're whether they are or are not serial killers, but not here. And as a consequence, the listeners get to hear insightful voicemails from people from all walks of life, specifically non-serial killers as well as non-non-serial killers. That's that's interesting. Okay, that was great. Uh, this is from Alex. Five stars. Best podcast for Pack Twelve. This duo started with nothing and continue to have nothing. Nothing but great takes, that is. Want to make money? Don't go with their picks. They are far more knowledgeable regarding UCLA and S dollar sign UC, but they try their best to talk about the other teams. Having recently acquired COVID-19, I lost my sense of taste. And listening to this podcast, I wish I had lost my sense of hearing. Final warning, if you are related to Jake Browning, do not listen to this podcast. Alex from Beaumont. That is so good. I wish, I just got COVID, and I wish I lost my hearing and not my taste. 
I mean, that's... Uh, Is there a higher compliment than that? I I don't know if there's high. Maybe. Uh, And then we've got another one from Retired Insurance Man, five stars. Oh, this is Frank in Sacramento. Five stars, the podcast of champions, it's great. The two hosts are recovering homers for their L.A. schools, and they always tell the truth. Two thumbs up. Look at that. So special. So, I mean, just, we have such great listeners. Like, do we, I don't, I don't think we deserve the listeners we have. No, certainly not. Certainly uh, not. Well, I, I would argue that we actually don't deserve any uh, <laughs> listeners, but that's just, you know, my general assessment of the state of the quality of our work. Uh, but certainly not the ones we have. Certainly not these high-quality individuals who may or may not uh, murder people and put them in the floorboards of their home. Yeah. Um, well, if we sound a little different, I am uh, I'm at my home. I'm not in the normal studio, so I won't be able to uh, do all our drops and our fun, um, you know, our, our fun uh, tones. What, what am I talking Why am I blanking on the word here? Our, all the drops we have for all the different teams, I can't do those. But I also can't yeah. do... We got a voicemail, and I can't do that. We could, we could read the transcription, David, and then I could add it in afterwards, a little editing magic. But uh, unfortunately, I, I can't download that one this time. We have a bunch of questions uh, from from our listeners. It's crazy. Like they people are uh, fired up about signing day. It looks like they're fired up. They're ready to go. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've got. I won't say we have a lot to talk about. We wouldn't I wouldn't want to lie to our listeners? Uh, but we have some things. There's a few. Yeah, there's some some stuff. Uh, I saw, like, if you don't get John Canzano's uh, email you know, news blast, uh, I like that. I mean, it's, Wilner's is great. Uh, Canzano's is great. They're just different feels to it. You know, Wilner's is more like kind of a newsy stuff, and Canzano's more of a, a calmy thing. But one of the interesting ones I saw from Canzano, I think it was today, we're recording this on a Thursday, is that, you know, for Oregon State's stadium renovations – uh, looks like it's gonna, you know, they're gonna have something between like thirty-five and thirty-nine thousand, so it'll be still like an intimate atmosphere. But they got a fifty, and I think it's a hundred fifty million dollar renovation. But they got a fifty fifty million dollar anonymous donor uh, to put money towards that renovation, and they they haven't they've haven't found out who it was. I guess there was speculation. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of speculation that it's Uncle Phil Phil Knight. Phil Knight, uh, yeah. Because there's a relationship with Oregon State, too. I think maybe a, a knight daughter went there, something like that. But anyway, uh, that it, it might have been Phil Knight, might have been somebody else. But um, somebody, somebody who appreciates and loves the Beavers as much as we do here on the show. That's pretty cool. I, don't, I mean, I haven't heard. I mean, you hear like Stanford donations for like, you know, that kind of money for like towards the endowment or whatever, but not necessarily anything for athletics like that's a pretty big one i mean there's just i don't know i haven't heard a lot of like huge donations like that for athletics no no that's a that's a pretty substantial one a pretty substantial single donation i mean obviously these buildings uh cost a truly insane amount of money and it's crazy that anyone spends this much money on freaking football but um usually it's from a, an accumulation you know, you'd get your 10 million here your 20 million there but 50 million that's a lot of money a lot <sighs> of damn money it is. Well, congrats to uh, the Beavs. It should be interesting to see what Reeser Stadium looks like when that is all done. But they're putting a, a bunch of money into it, which is great. I love that they're keeping the more intimate kind of uh, atmosphere. It just makes it special when you go up to Corvallis and have to play a game. I mean, there's a there's definitely a home field advantage there. Just traveling to get there, um, there's just something about it. So I, I love that they've done that. I think, you know, Pullman, they did a lot of uh, cool stuff uh, there, too. So, 
um, you know, I think you make those trips. They're still intimate, but they're and you're still remote. But you know, you have a, like a a better feel and experience, I guess, when you're going there. Right. Yeah. Well, we got a, it's National Signing Day. It was yesterday on Wednesday, and uh, it just doesn't feel the same. You remember covering National Signing Day, like yeah. I guess we could say back in the day, right? Like it was. Christmas, New Year's, Kwanzaa, like all wrapped in one. It was like you couldn't have a busier day in your year. And it was almost like I forgot like it was National Signing Day yesterday. Was, I mean, you did work. You had stuff to do. I did a couple shows, whatever. But it's not like the go to bed at 2 in the morning, wake up at 4 in the morning, and just work like a dog all day until you pass out. Like that's yeah. what the way it used to be. Well, and I mean, just from like a business standpoint, I know it was always, you know, you grow – just taking everyone behind the curtain of the 247 business model. You grow subscriptions in the lead-up, or at least you did, in the lead-up to the big signing day. Uh, now there isn't that... I mean, even the the early signing day doesn't really replace it um, from that standpoint. Um, it just doesn't have the same feel. Um, and this one is just kind of an afterthought. So it's you don't have that like kind of peaking moment, moment from like a... I don't know, from like a business perspective. And also... The day just kind of felt like a party, um, like, you know, and yeah, you were working hard, but um, I mean, a lot of, I mean, I know the UCLA site, they would have a literal signing day party where it would be like, you know, 60 or 70 of the message board people. And then they would get people from like the football program to come talk to them. Um, and that's just gone. Like all of that kind of excitement about the whole thing is just gone. And I think... Yeah. A lot of it's the switch um, to two signing days. Maybe some of it is the, I don't know, for some of these schools, slightly greater emphasis on the transfer portal versus high school recruiting. Um, there's a lot that goes into it, but like 90% of it is just switching up the signing days. And now it's just, I mean, how many how many guys even wait to till February to sign now? Is it like 10%, something like that? Yeah, it's, if that, I think, you know. Yeah, and it's just, I think that's going to get even more extreme to the point where it's just going to be, essentially, that signing day moved up two months. Um, so, yeah, no, it's it was it was a real, I mean, I, looking at all the classes in the Pac-12, no one, I mean, no classes significantly changed, and only a few, like, got even more than one or two additional recruits. Yeah, I mean, there were some, I think... Like nationally, like I think like Oklahoma didn't sign anybody, you know, like a big program like that didn't sign a single person. Uh, I think like Texas A&M picked up some, like Alabama picked up some. Some of the programs did, like Alabama just got better. They were already like like a record class. But this, you know, most of the damage was done in December. Yeah, absolutely. So... The rankings aren't too different, actually, from what we went over when uh, we were talking with Huffman, um, really, two weeks ago. Yeah, see, I mean, Oregon held on to the number one spot, um, and USC was second, but, uh, you know, both both ranked in the top ten, so that's good for the Pac-12. Um, only two, you know, uh, consensus five stars. Uh, one by USC, one by Washington, signed in this class. Um, you know, we I think Cal might have been third before. They're third right now, but they they fell out of the the top twenty five. Um, but you know, UCLA's up there to like top thirty, I believe. Um, so you know, three California schools 
in the in the top four with Oregon up there, you know, makes you know makes some sense. Um, you know, Arizona made a you know a little bit of a run there. I think they you know they've they've had some momentum um, with uh, what they were able to do with Jed Fish and stuff. You know, coming in, uh, you know, Utah's in the upper half. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think there was some, you know, seeing Washington with a, you know, not a big class, but pretty high quality class as far as like getting a five star and a few four stars. Um, but really, like when you look at Oregon and USC, you know, Oregon with 19 four stars, USC with 14 and a five star, you know, no one else had more than in the conference had more than five uh, four stars. And that was Cal. Um, so yeah, I mean, you kind of have two, you know, bigger programs, I guess, with the, you know, the higher rank classes and then, you know, everyone else. But, you know, seeing Cal where they are, that was impressive. Um, I don't know, did anything else kind of stand out to you, like, signing day-wise? So now that Huffman is uh, not on the show, not pumping his happy gas about all these programs, come on, Brandon. Uh, I'm going to, you know, lay on some unvarnished takes here. Uh, Stanford's class sucks. It's real bad. Um <laughs> Like, usually they're small, but they're not small and bad. But this one is small and bad. Um, ASU, what's going on there? That's true. Yeah, they're seventh in the in the conference. That's, uh, you know, with only four. They're only 14 like commits. not a super strong seventh. Like, it's, uh, their average commit ranking is no better than anyone besides Cal, who's ahead of them. Um, and Cal just took 19 guys. Um, so, 14 commits, not super strong. And Washington, I mean, uh, they don't get a full pass for this. I mean, did they really only have 15 spots to give? And if so, forgive me. But also, um, they were recruiting, I won't say completely neck and neck with Oregon and USC for a while, but they were recruiting up there with them, like nearly. Uh, So what's going on there? Um, Jimmy Lake, I think, for his first, you know, real class as the head coach, uh, maybe needed to hit a bigger home run than this, especially with uh, all the consternation about, oh, and that's a piece of news that we're not talking about, uh, all the consternation about uh, promoting uh, Bob Gregory uh, as their defensive coordinator, um, who apparently Washington fans hate so much that many of them are foregoing their fandom. They're they're done with the Husky program. Uh, that bad, huh? From what I was reading on Twitter, yes. Um, so I think, you know, Jimmy Lake, that's kind of a, kind of a you know, fart noise. Um, otherwise, uh, I think the UCLA's class is certainly better than the last couple for uh, Chip Kelly. Um, I am shocked, still remain blown away that people are talking about it as an objective success or as a non-relative success. Um, it's UCLA. It, it, it should be top 30 every year when you're taking 18 plus guys, no matter what. Um, that it's now 29th this year. Uh, that's that's at best par, um, and really it's sub subpar. Um, UCLA should be top 20ish. Um, that's how it should recruit, just typically. So um, I'm just I remain kind of shocked by the tenor of the conversation there. Uh, I guess everyone's expectations are just blown to hell. Um, but other than that, I mean everything kind of. I mean Cal's is oddly good but i think from an average ranking standpoint it's you know more or less in line with your expectations it's just uh they took a few more numbers than the last than the other schools behind them yeah 
But overall, no, no real big standouts for me. Overall, numbers are down, and I think we've talked about this before. And I think this is something. You know, Oregon State ranked twelfth. Uh, they only had ten players, um, which is the smallest in the conference. But you know, it's actually quality is not terrible. But they have spots that they're using for the transfer portal, and I think we're seeing that in a lot of programs. And in the this is a conference that recruits the hell out of California, right? We know, and they didn't play college. I mean, they didn't play high school football. And is there going to be guys that would turn into seniors? I think Brandon uh, Huffman tweeted about like you're seeing some good classes from, uh, you know, one double A and uh, you know Division two programs because there's guys that Power Five and group of even group of five programs aren't taking flyers on because they didn't get to see them play their senior year. Some of those guys just really, I mean, how much do you develop between your like 16, 17, or 17 and 18? There's guys that get a lot better, and they look amazing during their senior year, and you didn't even know who they were as juniors. Basically, that's gone. Like, you only are going off what these guys did at juniors. If you're the five, if you're Corey Foreman, everyone knows who you are. It doesn't matter. But one of Corey Foreman's teammates, that's Corona Centennial, that would have got looks because people went to go watch Corey Foreman, and they're like, who's that kid? Um, he's a senior. We didn't even know who he was. Oh, wow, he's a, he's amazing, you know, right tackle or something right now. You don't get to see those guys, and so they're going to go other places. But teams are are willing to take chances on, well, there's this three-star guy that we haven't seen film on. He wasn't at seven-on-seven. Seven. Maybe he's going to be good, but I don't know. We didn't get to see him the last, you know, year and a half. But we can go get to the transfer portal and get a guy that played for two years at some other program, and we know what to get out of that guy. So um, that combined with that the eligibility was frozen and you're essentially combining the class of 2020 and 2021. If you signed a big class in 2020, like if you have 25 guys, you don't probably want to bring 25 more in and have 50 guys in your freshman class, you know, but if you can bring in a couple of juniors or a seniors, you know, that helps spread out your class a little bit too. So I think there was a lot of factors that limited some of the high school signings and it's unfortunate for the, I feel bad for the kids. You know, there's guys that just aren't going to get their, their opportunities. Uh, but I think a lot of it has to do with that. And like, a, a, you know, I know Oregon state is going to use a lot of transfer portal guys. So they only signed 10 people, even though they don't have a lot of spots anyway, but um, you know, that's probably happening at other places too. Yeah. It, it really sucks for a lot of these seniors. Um, a lot of guys, I mean, frankly, a lot of, a lot of, high school seniors are going to miss out on a college experience because of the dynamics at play. Um, some of these schools I know are feeling a budgetary crunch and the real but slightly unreal scholarship money. I mean, it's not technically money. They're just giving free tuition. Um, there's the additional expenses, but whatever. Um, they're going to justify that. Like, well, do we want to keep a couple of seniors uh, as super seniors and continue to pay for their scholarships, well, we're going to have to take that out of the freshman class. So I, I would guess a not insignificant number of schools are going to just take fewer people into the program. Um, but even between transfers and freshmen, uh, they're just going to take fewer people as counters into the program this cycle, um, no matter like no matter how you slice it, uh, just from like a budgetary standpoint, because they're going to say, hey, well, well, there's value in keeping these you know three seniors, but do we really want to take a flyer on more freshmen? 
Um, so I think there's a meaningful number of uh, high school seniors who not only won't necessarily go to the highest level um, football program, they might not go to any. Um, they might not, and for some of them, that might mean not going to college, um, which is just one of these you know, kind of terrible knock-on effects from this whole experience. Um, I do think um, it's going to lead to, well, I mean, one possible impact from this that might be on the positive end is it could lead to um, better than expected group of five and FCS level football. Um, Cause I think a lot of the speculation is the transfer portal is going to take um, a bunch of talent away from those uh, groups, you know, essentially from the lower level schools and from the FCS schools. But because of that, because all of these power five schools are going to be competing for this market of proven players and they're not going to be out scouting as heavily on the high school end, there's going to be, I would imagine, a great deal of those, you know, seniors who are under scouted this year um, who end up playing at the FCS or group of five level who are actually much more talented than that level would indicate um, who might otherwise have been discovered in their high school seasons. So. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to watch it all shake out. But I think at the end of the day, um, some, you know, significant number of uh, high school seniors are going to get kind of screwed by the whole exchange. Yeah. And I would say, like, new coach-wise, Nick Rolovich, I think, did a pretty good job. Um, You know, he actually moved up above uh, where Colorado is. I think Washington State's ninth and Colorado dropped a little bit. So, I would say of the new coaches from the last cycle, Rolovich did a better job at Washington State than uh, Carl Durrell did at Colorado. They both signed, you know, uh, 18 commits for Colorado, 20 for Washington State. All 20 were were ranked at least three stars, and they have a higher, a little bit higher ranking than the the Colorado guys. Um, Where 17 of the 18 were were three star dudes, but um, yeah, I mean, I thought you know, it it's not neither gig is easy. Uh, to recruit to. And I thought with the success on the field for Colorado, you might be able to get a little bit more, you know, but they didn't really do a good job in state. And uh, it's, it, that's going to take a time. It's, it's probably going to take some time, but I don't know. Yeah. There's just some, there's just some excitement for in Pullman for some reason that maybe I thought would be in Boulder, but maybe isn't there right now. Well, so in the back of your mind always has to be Carl Durrell at UCLA and when, how he was more or less a mediocre to bad recruiter there. Um, he's older now. Um, he's learned his stuff from UCLA, but until it's proven, like until they actually, you know, recruit pretty well, it's, yeah, that's gotta be a question. I, obviously there were a bunch of extenuating circumstances this year, not only not being able to be out on the road, but also starting late because he was hired late. Like so many other things that you don't, you know, you totally give him a pass on this, but until he proves otherwise, you have to keep that in the back of your mind. You know, Durrell was not an excellent recruiter at UCLA. Um, so that's, I think, you know, I think he showed me a lot um, on the field this year, I think, from a, just a coaching standpoint. I think he's improved um, from his UCLA days, but I will want to see, you know, more from him on the recruiting trail. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it was a pandemic year. You didn't really get to put all your systems in place and no, all totally. that. Yeah. So you give guys a pass, but it's, you know, I think they, and I think Rivals even had Washington State ranked higher, too. They might have been, like, number seven in the conference in Rivals, where the, the composite, we had them, uh, you know, ninth. Oh, when, but, even, when even Rivals. Well, just, like, some of, and some of it's the numbers. 
I think the quantity like helps their rankings a little bit more. So it's why I, I like the composite, but um, it definitely it definitely had a feel of a better class uh, overall than Colorado. Not like one spot apart, you know. Just looking at it, but you know, there's a couple of new coaches. Uh, but do, do like Judge Fish's momentum. Um, you know, he's putting together a crazy staff and uh, you know, cool videos and social media stuff. Like you're, you know, hiring. Um, Teddy Bruschi, you know, like they're they're doing whatever they can to get people excited. But like seeing like guys talk about these 1990 you know, whatever defenses from you know the Desert Swarm defenses is like, man, that was a long time. <laughs> that was a long time ago. But uh, that's like what you can point to. Like, hey, we were good then. We're gonna try to be good again. Yeah. 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 What um, what did you think about that? Like they 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 kind of put out. I think they put out a video of Teddy Bruschi before they announced him as a hire, but everyone was speculating he was going to get hired. What do I think about him being hired? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Is he... Like, I, I, I think he'll be... I have no idea. I mean, he was a linebacker. Did he even coach at any point? I don't think so. <laughs> he's is, a, is he he's yeah. just going to be like a moral support guy who can talk about University of Arizona being good one time? I don't even know. He was, yeah, he was like a TV analyst for a while, and uh, I mean, fine. He seems like an energetic dude, and maybe they find a coaching role for him at some point. I don't know, but um, it's interesting. What's up with Arizona? They're just doing weird stuff. Both Arizona and Arizona State. You know, Arizona State had the new leadership model. Now you've got senior advisors to the head coach. What is this? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, for uh, did you see? So I think. I don't know if it was Kazana wrote about this, but Ray Anderson threw his name out there as like a candidate for Pac-12 commissioner. And he said, I'm not interested. I want to stay here at Arizona State. And yeah, I think it was Kazano. He's like, um, no one was considering you. No no one was even talking about you. But he, he worked it into like an extension and a raise and everything. So, like, you know, hey, kudos, kudos to... Uh, I, I respect it. I respect it. Um, but... Yeah, it's it's just interesting. Um, yeah, I'm 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 in like a semi bullish territory on uh, Jed Fish, Jed Fish. I think um, he's certainly bringing energy to the job that I never noticed at all from Kevin Sumlin. Um, certainly trying to embrace uh, what tradition there is at Arizona, and I'm not yes. I'm not saying that just to be a snark. That was a little bit snarky. What tradition there is, but I'm not just saying that. I'm saying. There really isn't that much, and he's trying to embrace what is there, which, you know, more power to him. Um, I don't, I, I really don't know. I don't know if there's anything to build on with that, like, desert swarm tradition. I think that was more just, like, the circumstances at the time. I don't think there's, like, some built-in recruiting advantage that allows you to, like, just recruit tough defensive players. I think it's just, you know, <laughs> you got to recruit them like anybody else. It's not like... Nebraska, oh, yeah, we can always build on the offensive line. Or Wisconsin, we can always build on the offensive line. There isn't, like, a one of those built-in things in Arizona. It's just they they emphasized that in the early 90s, and they were able to acquire some guys who worked for that. But, I mean, it's just it's going to be working for that. It's not going to be touting that you used to be the Desert Storm 30 years ago. Yeah. Well, he's so – Desert Storm, yeah. He's the senior advisor to the head coach, so – to uh, Jed Fish, so yeah, I don't know what his role is going to be, but he's still doing media stuff. Like he's talking about the Super Bowl, like or you know the NFL. Like just recently, he said uh, that Matthew Stafford wasn't tough enough to play for the Patriots. Like he's still going to be out there doing his NFL thing. So I don't know how 
much time is going to be dedicated to this Arizona job. But, you know, I think you have to try, like you said, you know, bring in, um, you know, the, the triple option or whatever. You like, you have to try to modernize yourself, do something different, stand out. And it seems like, you know, Fish is doing a lot of that stuff and they're going to try to be, I mean, he's funny on social media. They're, they do some cool things. If you can get some excitement and, and players like it, and it, maybe it doesn't appeal to you and me as much, but it, a lot of this stuff, some of those videos, they appeal to like the 16, 17 year old kids. That's what your that's your target audience, you know, and well, if you and, can and, get, you know. And the most important thing is someone was dead in the water and from the very beginning, and there was absolutely no energy from anyone in that program. I didn't notice a single thing that made like would have made anyone excited about coming to Arizona. Now you can see some stuff. The head coach is funny. He's trying to embrace their tradition. Um, he's hiring some dudes who might be able to bring some energy to the recruiting trail. I, fine. It's worth a shot. Um, I, I don't think Arizona has, like, there's not really a, a further down it can go right now. So, yeah, he's going to bring some energy to it. He's going to bring some passion, and we'll see see where it leads. Yeah. Um, well, we'll see with that. And I'll, uh, did we talk about Tim DeRuiter going to Oregon already? Did, no, we did, did not. So that's a big, uh, you know, so he, I guess he was demoted at Cal, right? Like he was the defensive coordinator and then became like the co-defensive coordinator. But, um, you know, Andy Avalos goes over, gets the head coaching job and they hire Tim DeRuiter and, uh, yeah, people, because, uh, Justin Wilcox had to hire his buddy, right? Yeah. Was it uh sermon? Did he, what, who, no, yeah, I think Ser- sermon's the, is sermon the current one? Yeah. Sermon's the current defensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought uh, their defenses were better when it was a DeRuiter. DeRuiter? I'm always going to screw that one up. No, why, you're is right. a, why is there a Y in there? I, I don't know. Have I've never asked him? I have not. I will. Okay. Can you ask him? <laughs> yes. Because it screws me up. I want to say DeRuiter every time. Okay. Uh, anyway, you get to the bottom of that. But um, their defenses were better when he was the uh, sole practitioner um, in that role. Uh, and then the defense was not quite as good. Um, so I'm interested. I think he'll uh, do some good things, um, and certainly a better hire than Washington made, at least according to uh, according to Washington fans. Yeah, well, some some interesting stuff going on here in the Pac-12. We don't know. They're I mean, the Pac-12 is looking for a search firm right now. Uh, I think they said they want to have like about a month. Uh, they and and I know. Um, Gonzalo did a radio interview with the Washington state president and he made it pretty clear. We want to get this done quickly. You know, it's not going to go past uh, Larry Scott's term. So look, you know, by the, by June or whatever, like they want to have this done. So I think that they'll find a search firm. They had some picked out. They'll interview those interviewing search firms and then, uh, you know, have like a month or so of interviews and, you know, negotiate a deal with somebody. So, I don't, you, do you feel confident they're going to find a good candidate, or I, I, I kind of do like for some reason. I mean, I think they'll find somebody who's fine. Um, like I was saying last time, I don't know. Like, I don't really, I, I don't really have a good feel for who you hire with this. Um, like, you know, I, I could BS about who you hire for like a football coach or even an AD, but for this kind of role, I, I, I think like. Rick Neuheisel somehow got talked about again on somebody's radio show. And, like, anybody who thinks that sort of person or just, like, a pure, like, PR person or a promoter could do that job, 
that doesn't like speak to any of my understanding of what that role needs to be. Like, especially for Pac, for the Pac-12. For like the SEC, I think you can have a little bit more of just like the marketing and promoter guy because look, that ship's running no matter who's in charge. The Pac-12, like some tough decisions need to get made very quickly. Um, like they're gonna need somebody who's like good at like spinning off like media apparatus, right? Like, what the hell do they do with these networks? Like, are there contracts that need revision? Like, what what the hell is gonna go on with all of that? Um, when they actually do consolidate that down to one net- network or sell the whole thing back to ESPN or whatever it is. But they need somebody with, like, I don't know, real business experience, would seem to me, um, in addition to, like, all the other, you know, basics that go into it. But um, So I don't really have a good feel for who would be good, so I'm glad they're, you know, working with the search firm the whole thing. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm relatively confident they'll hire somebody good. I mean, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I mean, think it's a complex and tough job, actually. Um, you know, in typical times, I think it's a, you know, it's a cakewalk. Um, I think Tom Hansen certainly didn't do a whole lot for his, whatever, 70 years in the job. And, you know, Larry Scott collected a paycheck for basically, you know, screwing up. Um, so, but I think there's going to be a lot of tough, tough decisions very early in the next person's tenure. It's one of those things that can be a great job. I mean, it was a great job for Larry Scott because he didn't perform well and got paid a shitload of money. Um, but when you take over someone that screwed it up so bad, even if it's a great job, I mean, you could be, if you're going to be the CEO of like General Motors and it's like during some boom and everyone, you're selling, you know, tons of cars and you're on top of all these different, you know, JD Power awards and all this crap. That's different than taking over when like you're getting your lunch eat by you know eaten by every other car company and you're like last in most categories and you have to like turn things around. Um, and I feel like that's kind of where the Pac-12 is, uh, but maybe not a General Motors. Maybe they're like Kia and they're trying to you know um, they would already be you know they're, they're like the RC Cola of the soda world and you've run RC Cola poorly. Like you want to take over RC Cola when you've like some soda war happened and you got a great commercial that people started buying your drinks because they just it was fun and whatever um but the pac-12 is like you know one of those teams where they were like sort of fourth or fifth on the power five and now they've been run poorly and they're far behind and they need a new tv contract and that contract doesn't happen for another three years they're still fourth in the power five though like even now they're still fourth you'd still okay well i mean the acc is bad dude like go look at everyone besides clemson it's bad yeah, it's just like the problem. It's, it's, it's the money. I get it, but like from a performance angle, like it's it's worse. And you know, they didn't have a great, uh, you know, tier three stuff, I believe. And you know, now they have the ACC network. And even if that came along slower, and maybe didn't have the kind of fan, fanfare and all of that, it's still better than the Pac-12 network. You know? Yeah, and I, I that, this is where it gets into like stuff I like truly know absolutely nothing about, and like I don't know if the brand itself has been diminished so significantly that it's going to be hard to even get like I don't know I, what percentage on the dollar they can get um, compared to the SEC or whatever when they just do it, just structure whatever, like just structure it the way the other ones do it. If you yes. just make it simple, or get really creative. Um, and like we were saying way back is, you know, go do an entire rights deal with Amazon Prime, you know, and just yeah. see if they'll overpay you for the content. 
but like do one or the other. Like do something that everyone else is doing for less money, um, or do something completely out there for overpayment. But yeah, like this thing where you like try to run your own network independently. I just I, all that did was like get Larry it, it Scott. It like paid. it had huge cost overruns, and yeah. at the end of the day, it 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 didn't and wasn't going to make the money that they thought it was likely because they were overvaluing Olympic sports. And and it basically was a way for Larry Scott to have two jobs, right? He gave himself, oh, I'm, we're going to make it, we're going to be a television network and I'm going to be the head of that well, too. So I think it, I, I mean, I'm trying to be fair to him. I think it reflected a deep misunderstanding of what like the core uh, product was. Um, and I think, you know, I kind of was joking about it for a while, but maybe he really did have a misunderstanding about, um, and I, I Whatever, if you like water polo or you like volleyball, fine, that's great. But most people don't watch that. They don't care. Um, they don't care, and they don't care all the way up to baseball. They all, they don't care all the way up to women's basketball, which are in some areas big sports. Um, in the South, you know, there's a lot of huge women's basketball programs. In the South, there's also a bunch of huge baseball programs, but those just aren't big in the Pac-12. You get the occasional like big gymnastics meet, but it's not something that's going to draw significant eyeballs ever. Um, and I think he just had a complete misunderstanding about that. Like, I think that more and more I'm thinking that's actually a realistic assessment of what was going on here is that they just completely misevaluated at whether they could build a market for that or whether there was an existing one. I don't know what it was, but I think that was a core part of their entire idea that just fell flat on its face almost immediately. And then on top of that, um, the whole we were going to partner with tech we were going to partner with all this tech money in San Francisco, and that's why we need to be in San Francisco. What was that even going to be? Because that sounds like just coked out investor talk to me. Like, yeah. what was that supposed to be? Because if it's supposed to be my idea, which is go get Amazon Prime to publish your crap, well, don't do that on the Pac-12 network then. You know, do it pure streaming rights, and here you go. Um, but that whole thing just it sounded like nonsense from the beginning, but I think that was a big part of why he wanted the network and wanted it based in San Francisco. And then um, the whole, you know, international element of everything, you know, the, the Chinese market um, trying to build a Pac-12 brand there uh, because the NBA has gotten big in China, because basketball generally is big in China. I, I, I sort of get it, but I also like just there's I, I, I struggle to see how you were how was that ever going to be leveraged into something that was going to be. I don't know, meaningful money for the Pac-12 or meaningful. I mean, for, for a college conference, for a college sports league, it's just I think you have to have like multiple impacts. Um, and I mean, are you ever going to get some meaningful number of like Chinese people coming over to California, Oregon, Washington, Arizona and Utah to come play basketball or play sports or, you know, I, I don't know. Is it going to be different from what the number already is? I Anyway, um, I just think there was a lot of um, pie-in-the-sky ideas that just were were more or less dead on arrival. Yeah, um, yeah I feel like a lot of it was just Larry Scott wanted to be there. Um, he wanted to be the super executive. He wanted to control everything. But when you go into a big business uh, venture like that with really the wrong things prioritized, like you were selling 860 live events a year. So we're going to need seven networks. It was just like, this is stupid. Like there was no, there was no uh, market for that. But yeah. 
you how much more difficult did you make it to get on DirecTV? If it was just one channel, it would have probably been on DirecTV, right? I mean, it just seems like that would work. You were you were trying to get well, we have seven channels and we want all of them on there. Even the streaming services, you have some streaming services are like, well, we don't have the national one, but we have the regional ones. It that was I mean, just poor decisions from the very beginning. Um, and it's just gonna it just put the Pac twelve so much further back. Yeah, it seems like there would have been um Potentially, he still would have been here if that just simple decision had been made differently and they had had a single network instead of the networks. Um, but alas, he didn't. So here we are. Uh, well, why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and start answering questions. So back in a minute. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back here on the podcast of champions. we got to get to some questions, David. Now, like I said, I'm going to play the voicemail. I think it's from our resident Stanford fan. Can you look at the transcription? I, it was hard to read because he uses some colorful language and it doesn't really come out in the uh the you know google trans you know translation or the transcription thing that easily but can you get the gist of what he's saying from his uh voicemail no (laughs) i just i want to read this to everyone um this is what google transcript uh lets us know about the voicemail hello ryan hello c floor dave he's not upheld your end my friend, now I'm feeling acrostic and a tad bit caustic. Death draws nigh, decode and obey, or off bye-bye XO Jody action. Now, I think he is trying to write or speak in the code of the Zodiac Killer, but I think this goes beyond that because I, like, I cannot make hide nor hair of this. Debo departed uncertainty reigns little, then followed a five-star drain Ryan's side of the portal in defense of his prediction, given over to six of them a clear dereliction, ferocious cried Woods, snart game on high, three wins. If they're lucky, this team in decline, nay, cried Shaq in prom- formation of the 33 inciting declamation. We will not follow, mighty nation. Six wins could have happened, if not for a faulty in Eugene, which triggered a Mills practice palsy. Not bad, four and two, with five away from the farm. Gee, maybe the transfers were less good than harm. Disrespect the recruiting at your own peril. All the wins. Shaw's accrued came from dredging the barrel, vindicating two and three star grinders ahead. Enjoy dual set tones as your disc phonic reminder. That is full on Chaucer. Like that is Canterbury Tale. Like what the hell is that? That's old English. First of all, um, 
I might have never been more impressed of anything you've ever done on the show than what you just did. So that was very impressive. <laughs> that was great. I mean, because I was looking at it like, I don't, I can't make heads or tails of it. You actually made it sound cool. Um, yeah, no, it's just you have to recite it in the tone of like a dramatic poem because it is written in Middle English. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I apologize. I don't think we're going to play that. I think we're just going to go with that. Um, obviously, <laughs> you could feel that. Yes, they could have. They had to play all their, you know, five of their six games away from uh, Palo Alto, you know, from Stanford, and you know, could have beat Oregon. Well, they're playing early on that Oregon kind of blew them out. But it, yeah, we they the Stanford was definitely better uh, than I thought. I've been pretty wrong on Stanford all the time. If you remember, like last year, I was still like, oh, they'll bounce back, and you were like, nope, they're gonna they're gonna bottom out, and. Uh, they bottomed out. You were right on that one. And this year, I was, I was like, yep, they'll bottom out. And they actually, they performed well. They played, played oh better. God. Oh, my God. I just noticed the next email, he actually wrote it out for us, and it is a poem. Holy crap. I didn't even see that. Okay. Are you so, ready for this? Okay, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. a poem now. You guys okay. ready? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it says, Zodiac voicemail accompaniment. You've not held up you've not held up your end, my Sith Lord friend. Now I'm feeling acrostic and a tad bit caustic. Death draws nigh, decode and obey, or bye-bye. XO Zodiaction. Adebo departed, uncertainty reigned, little then followed a five-star drain. Ryan cited the portal in defense of his prediction, given over to cynicism a clear dereliction. Herocious cried Woods, snark game on high. Three wins if they're lucky, this team in decline. Nay, cried Shaw in punt formation. On the UCLA 33, inciting <laughs> defamation. defamation. We will not fall, mighty nerd nation. Six wins could have happened if not for a falsy, and Eugene, which triggered a Mills practice palsy. Not bad, four and two with five away from the farm. Gee, maybe the transfers were less good than harm. Disrespect the recruiting at your own peril. All the wins Shaw's accrued came from dredging the barrel, vindicating two and three-star grinders. Enjoy dulcet tones as your dysphonic reminder. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Beautiful. I, yeah, so that's why the voicemail was going to be hard to read, because it was a Zodiac poem. Because it actually was. <laughs> you, you, I don't know. See, I asked you if you could translate that, and you said no, but you actually did. So, I think I nailed it, and I nailed the feel for it. Like I knew it was a uh, a poem. A hundred percent. That was uh, that was amazing. Yeah, that was. I forgot. Yeah, the, the Davis Mills had the uh, false positive. So they um, and his uh, icon is I think is Han Solo. So that's pretty cool too. Very cool. Um, well, that was that was great stuff. Uh, so yeah, we definitely won't play the voicemail because that's too good. Um, all right, we got an email from Willie. Sorry, Willie, you got to follow that, but that was really good. Hey. Uh, it says, hi, fellas. Last podcast, Ryan was ranting, that doesn't sound like me, about how bad an executive, quote, Willie Dixon was for our conference under Larry Scott. It was Woody, right? That I, get the, I got yeah, that yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah. You didn't correct me, right? We just both. No, 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 I didn't remember. Yeah, I didn't remember either. So it was, yeah, I think I said that on the on the USC podcast, and they're like, it's Woody. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, I, I'm like, I remember, like, you know what? I said Willie on the back door. <laughs> so there's probably five we haven't looked at the emails yet there's probably like six of them that mention that uh as a man named willie dixon myself i would like an apology for the slander against my name you were talking about the officiating blunders under quote woody dixon please leave the willie dixons in this world out of this kidding aside i enjoy the pod thanks 
Willie from Stockton, go Bears. And it's, his email is Willie Dixon. <laughs> <laughs> That's really great. <laughs> Sorry, Willie. <laughs> All right. Uh, we've got Caveat, Caveat Terminator, um, which that's it's Terminator Beware. Is that what we're going with there? Uh, maybe, yeah. Though this is Hitler Day. Oh, God. Okay. All right. Last, yeah, it's Hitler Day. Come on. Everyone knows it's Hitler Day. <laughs> anyway, uh, when we're trying to, like, too, translate the, the subject, you know, it's Hitler busy, Day. I was too busy trying to, like, just flog my brain for the Latin. Uh, last week, David suggested that the more salient firing for Pac-12 fortunes is not Larry Scott's, but Clay Helton's, reasoning that a revitalized USC would raise conference revenues, which in turn would trickle down to other programs. Realizing that this is a gloomy thought for 11 other schools, David allowed for an alternate model with the radical suggestion that those teams should actually become good at football. They'd quickly reap the benefits independent of league revenues through donations, season tickets, merchandise, etc., and would have the money to perpetuate their own success. For the rational fan, that means there are exactly two types of schools in the Pac-12 and no more. Those rooting for Clay Helton to be fired, and those rooting for him to be extended. USC is in the former camp for obvious reasons, as would any school with no realistic hope of step change improvement unless Pac-12 distributed revenues rise significantly. David suggests an organism in the latter because the Ducks have the capacity to self-fund and they benefit from USC being less competitive on the field than the recruiting trail. What do you, where do you boys think the other 10 schools fall? Ah. So well, I don't ones, think it's... So I guess if you're taking what I was saying to its uh, semi-logical conclusion, it would be that USC is somewhat of a rising tide that lifts all boats, um, would raise conference and revenues and so on and so forth. Um, so which schools would need that? Versus which schools could actually independently create their own revenue if they actually got good. Yeah, you can look at it that way. And, but, I mean, you could still argue that, like, a good USC would be better for Oregon to get it over the top. Like, if you beat, like, a bad USC in the championship game and you needed an extra boost to get into the playoffs, I don't know. I mean, that might be uh, a negative. But I think for an Oregon, like, the fact that Oregon's won, you know, had the best recruiting class in the Pac-12, I believe, three years running now, that's something that you probably wouldn't be getting at all if USC was good. So there's, you know, specific benefits there. I would say, like, for UCLA, I mean, there's benefits, like, you don't really care if USC is good and, like, you know, that's like, yeah, okay, Clemson's good, so we talk about the ACC, but if you're there, UCLA... There might, be, there might be some zero-sum stuff going on there, too. Like, it might be hard for there to be both a very good USC and a very good UCLA. Just true. Because location and, and, and the, the LA recruiting base, if one is good and the other is not, is really easy. Uh, but if both, I, I don't know, I can't remember the situation when they were both, like, when they were last both good. What was it? Uh, yeah. The 80s at some point? Were the, was USC that good in the 80s? Uh, no, like, they never, they had, like, Marcus Allen early on. Um, there was, yeah, there were some, some good battles there, but then like at the end of the, the eighties where you had Rodney Pete and Troy Aikman, right? So there was, there were some good battles then. Yeah. But I mean, you'd have to go back to that point and that is just a different recruiting landscape. I don't know. Um, but I, I think there's some element of that. So I don't know that USC, UCLA would ever really want USC to be good. Yeah. So I, the, it's probably a shorter list on who would want. USC to be bad, right? Because, like, I mean, if you're like Oregon State, if you're Washington State, you probably need, like, it, you're benefited if there's a Clemson in your conference. If there's someone really freaking good, 
it probably helps you, I would say. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I would say I would say the ones who benefit significantly from USC being down are Washington and Oregon, and then UCLA to a lesser extent. Um, from a recruiting standpoint, and I think recruiting, if you recruit well and you have good teams, that's going to have more of an impact on your bottom line than whether USC is good. Um, so I think it's probably Washington, Oregon, and UCLA. Yeah. Be the ones who would be rooting for USC to not be good. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, if you're Cal and Stanford, like, yeah, I mean, you want to be... if Arizona State gets really ambitious, but everyone else, I think, would want USC to be pretty good. Yeah, it would it would help those conference teams if USC was good, um, where you could have more selfish reasons to not be that if you're Washington, Oregon, or UCLA. That makes sense to me. Yeah. That's an interesting question. It is interesting. Um, thanks, Hithliday. It's a uh, Good question, Hithliday. Yeah. Uh, all right, this one's from our buddy Perk. Uh, he has two points. Uh, Ryan. So, number one is Ryan. USC has only one Bolitnikoff winner, Marquise Lee, in 2012. Is that surprising to you, given all the wide receiver talent USC's had over the years? Uh, not super surprising, because, you know, it was tailback you for a long time, right? And when sort of like the Carson Palmer stuff with, you know, when Pete Carroll took over, that's when we would start seeing like all these four and five star receivers coming to USC. They've had some great receivers, you know, over the years, but it was still a running football team. Um, but yeah, I, and you know, lately they just haven't been good enough, good enough on the national stage. You kind of need that. But yeah, Marquise Lee, like Lane Kiffin just fed him the ball, even though they had Robert Woods on the team. And uh, they they had a pretty good run there where they had like you know Woods and Lee and Nelson Aguilar and then Juju Smith um, Schuster so it was a pretty good run but yeah, I'm, I'm not super surprised uh, just because it's you know that was a it, it's been a, been a nice run but it's been more of a recent run as far as like elite uh, receiver recruiting went yeah and some important context uh, the Vletnikov's only been a thing for 26 years so. Oh. I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, one in twenty-six is not uh, too bad. Um, and you got to remember, if it's only been the last twenty-six years, a whole shitload of this is going to be air raid. Um, yes. Oklahoma State's featured in here three times. Texas Tech, Michael Crabtree's twice. Um, Baylor's in here. You know, just if you throw the ball a lot, you're going to get in here. And what, one of the, one of the things is, I think both uh, Dave and I despise are the preseason watch lists of these awards. Like, well, I despise these awards. I, I despise the whole thing. Yeah, it's just, it's, been, it's all crap. But the preseason watch list that includes like over a hundred people. <laughs> um, Marquis Lee was not on the preseason watch list, so you get to pick a hundred receivers, and you didn't pick the guy that won your award. That, you know, that shows you, you probably don't need that preseason list. I would say. Yeah, and I would be interested, like, obviously the Alabamas in here were good, but a lot of times these are, like, the best receivers on, like, fine teams, but not great teams. Um, Like, Brandon Cooks won it one year because he had 130 catches, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, you're going to rack up some numbers. I mean, you got Georgia Tech featured on here. Oregon State's on here twice. Um, Pitt's on here a couple of times. Wow. Louisiana Tech, like it's just yeah. Anyway, accumulate a bunch of receiving stats, and then you get the what the conference great. Yeah, um, I mean it's like you could get like a Lavisca Chenault, and like he's going to have what eighty or ninety catches, but it's just you're not going to win this award. You have to. Have, it's got to be volume, right? You got to have a lot of volume. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And he says, uh, number two, you guys have dismissed the, quote, we've got a young team excuse. What do you make of it, the, quote, it's hard to recruit and win here because of our academic standards excuse. This is sometimes used by Cal fans, but largely used by Notre Dame and Michigan fans following a blowout loss in any, any meaningful game. It's uh, complete bullshit by all three of those schools. Uh, the only <laughs> school that actually has um, an ARG here is Stanford. Uh, UCLA fans also use it, and it's 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 horseshit there, too. Come on. Yeah. Um, UCLA has gotten in guys, I know for a fact, one of the star players from the Mora years was a failing high school student who got into school. You get your silver bullets or whatever you want to call them, and however you want to describe it in a bureaucratic way, whatever, you can get guys past admissions if you work hard enough. Um, at U- at Stanford, it actually legitimately can be hard. Uh, but Notre Dame and Michigan, no. No, they can get in anybody. Yeah. Al can get in anybody. Um, yeah. So it's it, it's nonsense. Um, I think it's something that they that fans use to prop themselves up. It's sometimes something coaches often use to make excuses for why they can't recruit or don't want to recruit or whatever it is. Uh, but it's almost always just complete hooey. Yeah, I agree with you there. You, you can't look at it as like a fortress. Like, oh, you don't have a 1350 on your SAT. You can't get in. Um, at some schools, maybe you need a certain amount of your football players to have a, a certain grade and they, they can't penetrate the wall. But not everyone. I think Stanford's more of a, it's like a wall. Like you can't get in unless you're this, but they kind of use that to their advantage. And that's just, they only recruit those kind of guys and that's fine. And you're sort of known for that, but we've seen guys, I mean, there were prop 48 kind of guys back in the day, go to Cal. I mean, there's, there's, there's stuff you know, that happens and yeah, how many, how many of them can get in? Like, is it a lot? Is it a few? It depends on what the administration's allowing, but it's not like any of those schools, if there's not guys that, I mean, they had terrible transcripts that had to take like BYU online courses, like on all those teams. Like that's happened a lot. It's just. Yeah. And I do want to be clear, like UCLA can get in a couple of those guys. They can't get in all of them. Like right. it, you wouldn't be able to recruit like the entire, whatever, Baylor program, right. Or the entire Texas tech program at UCLA. You just wouldn't. But I push back on the, it's hard to recruit and win here because of our academic standards. Are there some guys you probably can't get in? Yeah. They do exist. And uh, at UCLA, they probably exist even a little bit more than they do at Cal, say. But do they exist enough to the extent that it is actually hard to recruit? No. No. Most guys, you're going to be able to get in. And the advantages outweigh the disadvantages. All these Power 5 schools whining about this? No. Get out of here. I mean, are you going to be able to recruit the exact same pool of guys as, you know, your... Uh, whatever state school alternative or whatever you want to call it maybe not but you're going to be able to recruit enough that it shouldn't be a meaningful excuse for why you can't win yeah yeah it's not it's not like well there's all these there's this huge pool of high school players we cannot recruit like that's not the case you can't recruit exclusively from that pool but you can go into that pool you know that's a good way to put yeah yeah um all right this is from uh frank in sacramento odds on favorite uh, question for Ryan. After another year passes and USC can get rid of Clay Helton at somewhat reasonable expense, who is the odds-on favorite to replace him? Is it Luke Fickle or the surprise rehire of what would be what? 70-year-old Pete Carroll? <laughs> yeah, he's. I think he's 69 or going to be se- – yeah. He's like the oldest coach in the NFL. So, no, Pete Carroll's not coming back. Um, it's been a long time since he's been 
since he's been gone. Um, apparently, you have to have, if you go to the College Football Hall of Fame, David, you need like 10 years of experience as a head coach. And I think Pete Carroll has nine. And so there's some people are complaining like, well, he could come back as like a honorary thing or something. I don't know. Maybe they do something like that at some point. Um, I think as far as if they get rid of Clay Helton, who do they go after? I mean, the name you hear a lot is Luke Fickle because he was hired by Mike Bone uh, at uh, Cincinnati. You know, um, Matt Campbell at Iowa State is also someone that has, you know, I think he's got a lot of NFL attention, certainly a lot of college attention. Um, and I'm sure there'll be more candidates that pop up. But guys come and go. Like Dino Babers, remember, he was like this, oh, man, that guy's amazing. He's like beating Clemson at Syracuse and all that stuff. And then he's just been terrible. Um, I do like the process because I've you know talked to some of the people that have worked with you know Mike Bowen and Brandon Sosna, like the guys that are running the athletic department now. And it actually seems like they do research like for you david if you're if you're hiring a college basketball coach do you want to hire the guy that just made a run in the in the in march madness you know like he's a hot name say somebody who like uh, just his team dunked a lot and he got a lot of hype for it (laughs) right like or do you go well what did he do like in his previous place what did he do what happened to the program after he left regular season titles and make the tournament in like nine straight years stuff like that and I feel like this new administration will take some of that into consideration or a lot of that into consideration as opposed to who's the hot name and stuff right now. Uh, they'll actually do research and they talk with agents where like the previous administrators didn't know because they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't do that kind of stuff. But Well, let me um, tell you, uh, Washington, Oregon, and UCLA fans, you do not want USC to hire Luke Fickle. He's done. He's really good. I think Matt Campbell he, is as well. Last season was the best year in Cincinnati history. He yeah. has the best season. He has two of the top four seasons, according to SRS. Now, I know SRS for this past year was a little bit weird and complicated, but uh, it's currently rated the best season um, ever for Cincinnati. Uh, three of the top eight all-time are Luke Fickle. Pretty impressive. And the the thing and with Luke Fickle, though. That's Brian, Brian Kelly was the coach there. If you remember, that's how yeah. he came to go to Notre Dame. And, and Luke Fickle has, he's, he, Luke Fickle has two of the top four seasons. Brian Kelly has the two other ones, but Luke's, Luke Fickle's is the best one. Yeah. And he's, he's an Ohio guy though, from what I, you know, gather. Um, it would be a pretty big move for him to go out of there. Who the and... hell is Clay Helton? He's like an Alabama guy. <laughs> True. Who cares? What does that mean? Yeah. It's California. But... He'll come to California. What the hell? But Frank, I see job. You're telling me, you're telling me, Cincinnati's head coach is going to be like, uh, nah, I'm not going to go coach USC, like one of the top three most storied programs in all of college football history. Is uh, you're telling me, is that what you're I, trying to tell me right now? So if the USC administration needs someone to, uh, I think they could hire you, Dave, and uh, you, that's the sales pitch you would give. Um, I like it. I think they would uh, welcome well, when, you. When UCLA was hiring a basketball coach. Like, they went and got Cincinnati's head coach with no problem. You're telling me that the same thing couldn't happen for USC? And USC's football program is a lot more up than UCLA's basketball program has been for the last 20 years. Yeah. So, no. I don't know. That seems like a no-brainer to me. Yeah. But that, I think, Frank, I think definitely he's a great candidate and just the connection uh, there. And the, the good thing, I know SC fans are upset that Clayton's still around. 
they really have made it a better, like they've improved the house around Clay Helton. And that you could say it's rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. But if you look at what a, if you had hired, you know, Urban Meyer, like even two years ago, you're talking about a total teardown and rebuild. And he's a guy that can do that. But like, if you bring in like a Luke Fickle and there's already a great infrastructure around, it's going to help someone go from a group of five to a power five program and have success. So I, I kind of get what they're doing. But I understand fans upset that, you know, they wanted a new head coach. So I, they're doing it their own way. If they replace Clayton after 2021, if it's a good or mediocre season and they get a good coach like that, I think in the long run, fans will be happy. But they're just so used to big decisions getting screwed up that they're not willing to accept that, hey, maybe this is actually some decent people running the athletic department and they're going to they're going to get this one right. But I don't know. We'll see. Um all right, well, this is a long one. We got Brian ranking the best Pac-12 football coaches. Okay, let me dive into this one. Greetings, mediocre purveyors of Pac-12 knowledge that have no actual use in the real world. Since it's the offseason, I thought a fun exercise would be to choose the best coach from each Pac-12 school, then rank them. I know this exercise would require you to remember stuff, which is unlikely. So guess what? I did it for you. This is the kind of email I like, David. This is great. Um, some schools were easy, some were hard. Trying to balance all-time record with best seasons and also give credence to the era in which they played. So here's the list. Uh, first of the coaches I chose with their records and with the runner-up in parentheses. Uh, then my rankings. Tell me what you think of my choice for each school and then their ranks. I like this. Um, so he starts with the USC. I almost said Clay Helton, but it's really got to be John McKay. Coach from 60 to 75. 127 and 40, most all-time national titles in 62, 67, 72, and 74. Uh, definite strong runner-up, Pete Carroll, 2001 to 2009. Um, 97 and 19, two national titles. This was the toughest call other than Oregon. I would agree with uh, McKay. What, what about I'd you? Go, I'd go Carroll. Um, more elite. Um, the, the seasons were more dominant. Um, again, going by SRS. I think it paints a pretty clear picture. John McKay has the best overall team, 1972. 72 is pretty special, yeah. But the Carroll teams are, like, he's got three clustered in the top seven. McKay only has one. Um, five of Carroll's seasons are in the top 12. McKay only has two. Um, I think you're more consistently elite was, was Pete Carroll. Okay. I, so I would have gone Carroll. I think that's fair. Um, you can do that. You know, and really sort of brought on the rise of the SEC, right? Like they were competing with, with that and um, pretty crazy. UCLA, uh, <laughs> Rick Neuheisel. Okay, we're moving moving on. Uh, he did, I think he might have wrote some other stuff, but no, he says, uh, just kidding, Dave. Got to be Terry Donahue, 1976 to 95. Awesome. 151 and 74, four Rose Bowls, runner-up Red Sanders, 1949 to 57. UCLA's lone national title, he was 66 and 19. That's like, um, this is like awarding a, uh, an air raid receiver the Bolitnikov. Uh, Donahue was around forever. You luck into some stuff. Also, he was kind of good in the 80s. Uh, Red Sanders is the obvious answer here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, three of the top six seasons all time for UCLA, Red Sanders. The, the, was that the uh, Heisman Trophy year too? Was Red or no? No, was that... no, that was Tommy Prothrow. Um, but Sanders, uh, should have so his his two best teams didn't even or his best team probably 1952 didn't play um for anything but that team was really really good but 55 
because of the or 54 because of the no repeat rule they couldn't even play in the rose bowl but that was a great team um and that was the one that won the split national championship uh but yeah no red sanders obvious answer okay I'll, i'll go with you on that stanford uh, crazy enough, it's probably David Shaw, 2011 and 2020, 90 and 36, five New Year's Day bowl games, tallied off, uh, tailed off lately, but great early. Runner-up, got to go Pop Warner, uh, 1924 to 1932. He was 71 and 17. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's Shaw. It's hard to, like, compare, like, those, you know, but Stanford was a power. You know, Cal was a power, but so was, like, Army and, and Duke and stuff, so it was weird. You could make a Harbaugh argument, if only because he started the whole thing, but I think it's Shaw. Yeah, I think that's fair. For Cal, Jeff Tedford, 2002 to 2012. I didn't realize it was that long. Uh, 82 and 57. Runner-up was Andy Smith, 1916 to 1925. He was 74 and 16. Went to two Rose Bowls. Kind of slim pickings for Cal. This is some real Pappy Waldorf erasure. Yeah. Happy really? Waldorf has uh, five of the best eight Cal seasons ever, including the best ever, which was 1949. So if, he would, if you can give it to Red Sanders for the 50s, then it's definitely Pappy Waldorf for Cal. That was he was like World War Two ish stunt, right? Or is that? Yeah, it was it was uh, post war, uh, late 40s, early 50s. Okay, but yeah, he was clearly better than Tedford. All right. Uh, well, I'm, I'm going with you there. Uh, Oregon, this is tough because only because Chip Kelly was only at Oregon for a short time. Given everything, I think that's going to be Mike Pilotti. 95 to 2008, 116-55. Really brought Oregon to prominence and in the national spotlight. Chip Kelly's the runner-up, 2009 to 2012, 46-7. Chip would be the clear number one if he stayed longer. I'd still go Kelly. His four Just, seasons were all in the top nine all-time for Oregon. They're elite, right? So, I mean, yeah. yeah. Kind of uh, like that. I mean, I, I, I get the arguments that Bilotti and even Rich Brooks helped build that thing, uh, but it's got to be Kelly. All right. Uh, Oregon State, he said this one's tough. Mike Riley has the most wins, but no conference titles. Got to go uh, Lon Steiner, 1933 to 48. He was 74 and 49. Oregon State's only Rose Bowl win in 42. Runner-up Mike Riley, uh, 97 to 2014. He was... 93 and 80, almost as bad as history as Cal. Right? right. Honestly, for Oregon State, you're picking like lone seasons. Um, so I think Dennis Erickson has to be in the argument um, for the, again, 2000 season where they were really good and won the Fiesta Bowl. Um, Lon Steiner, certainly. Uh, Tommy Prothrow, UCLA head coach, he's got four of the top 12 seasons all time for Oregon State. Um, but I, I actually don't think Mike Riley's in it. Um, you know, when you're looking at SRS, he shows up, his name shows up first at eighth um, in the top seasons all time. So I don't think he's in it. I think it's Erickson, Steiner, maybe pro throw. Um, Is the Erickson, like, so that was the Notre Dame win. Yeah. Um, that that was like... Uh, 11 and 1, you know, truly a, a, an elite uh, Oregon State team, um, which they've had a few of. So uh, Long Steiner has the, the best team all time. Erickson has the number two team all time. Okay, number two. All right, I thought that would be number one, but um, pretty impressive there. Okay, maybe we'll go with Lon. Um, Washington, uh, tempting to say seven wins Sark, but this one is clearly Don James. 1975 to 1992, 150 and 60 as the record. National title 91, runner-up in 84. 
ask Washington fans about BYU's national title. As a Utah fan, I got to get my BYU digging. Runner-up Jim Owens, 1957 to 1974, he was 99-82. Yeah, this is Don James. Yeah, no question. And honestly, that 91 team has one of those, like, not quite on that cusp of, but one of those best team of all time arguments. Yeah. So. Steve Edmond. Uh All right. We got Wazoo, Washington State. This one is easy, although uh, he doesn't have the most wins or the highest percentage. Has to be Mike Price. 1989 to 2002, 83 and 78, two Rose Bowls, runner-up. Uh, O.E. Hollingberry, 1926 to 1942, he was 93 and 53. Yeah, I think that's right. Mike Price. Price had, you know, there was a good run there. Um, Arizona, Dick Tomey, another easy one. Uh, and the Desert Swarm, 1987 to 2000, 95 and 64. Runner-up Larry Smith, 1980 to 86, he was 48 and 28. Yeah, I, I think this is a pretty, pretty clear one. You could flip them either way for me, Larry Smith or Dick Tomey. I just told me had, I mean, I don't know. There was just some more elite stuff there with him. Larry but. Smith uh, had the best season all time, 1986. Really? Yeah. Oh, uh, his last year there. Oh, because he left for USC, yeah. Yeah, but uh, Dick Tomey also obviously good and, and more consistent. So, yeah, I mean, Tomey's fine. That's that's fine. All right, Arizona State. Uh, another standout, Frank Cush uh, Stadium, right? Isn't it Cush Stadium? Yeah. Or, or so what? Yeah, uh, 1958 to 1979. Uh, he was 176 and 54. That's a lot of games. Uh, dominated the WAC and led the team to the Pac-12. Uh, Runner-up Bruce Snyder, 92 to 2000. He was 103 and 58. Jake the Snake and a Rose Bowl. Yep, that was actually by SRS standards uh, the best season, uh, 96 um, with Bruce Snyder. But Frank Kush has the next three. Um, and produced a truly elite program in the early 70s. So I think you got to go Kush here. I like that. Uh, Colorado has Bill McCartney, if you remember those days, 1982 to 80 to 94. He was 93 and 55, shared national title. Uh, Runner-up runner up was Eddie Crowder, 1963 to 73. He was 67 and 49. You know who comes up uh, sixth and seventh on the best seasons all time for Colorado? Uh, I do not. My man, Rick Neuheisel. Yes. Phil McCartney's the obvious answer here. He's, yeah. He recruited the hell out of Southern California. And, uh, I mean, they, they had some great teams there. Utah. As a Utah fan, I'm partial to Kyle Whittingham, 2005 to 2021. 134 and 66, two bowl game victories. Um, it's no question. It's no question it's Kyle Whittingham. Led them you to the to go, You have to go back to the like late 20s, early 30s for a comparable, which was Ike Armstrong, whoever that is. Yeah, runner-up Ike Armstrong, he was 141 and 55. He was there a long time, too, 1925 to 49. What about Urban Meyer, undefeated season? Uh, that season is, yeah, it's, it's ranked number one overall, but um, Whittingham uh, has three better seasons than the other season for Urban Meyer. And Utah's won more than two. Longevity does matter at a school like that. He has, he has more than two bowl games, right? I thought he won like 10 in a row or something. Like, Wasn't that a streak he had? Uh, Whittingham? Yeah. I mean, he's one of shitload of bowl games. I don't yeah. know if he's one in a row, but yeah. Well, two. Maybe he met 12. Maybe it was a typo or something. Um, I'll have to look at that. So his rankings now. Let me look it up. Okay. Uh, no, it wasn't 10 in a row. He won 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 of 12. 11 of 12. Okay. So, yeah, he wrote the wrong thing there. So his rankings, and we have some different 
names in here, but he has John McKay first. Would you put Pete Carroll first? Yeah. Don James second. Sure. Frank Cush third. Okay. Bill McCartney fourth. Uh, well, okay, we've got other names in here, so let's just do it based off his, off his names. Um, yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll go through them. Bill McCartney fourth. Terry Donahue fifth. David Shaw sixth. Kyle Whittingham seventh. Mike Bellotti eighth. Mike Price ninth. Dick Tomey tenth. Jeff Tedford, 11th, and Lon Steiner, 12th. Uh, I know this was long. It's really tough because they're all different eras, and it's just, it'd be tough. Yeah. But it's good. I mean, it's a good list. I think, uh, you know, he put a bunch of data in there, so I appreciate that one. Yeah. It's a good off-season one. That's a great, great, we've had some great emails already. We've had some fantastic emails. All right. Who's up next? Is Eric. Eric. Flipping commits. Hey, Dave and Ryan, when a recruit decommits from one school and flips to another, approximately how often is it that the new school straight up beat out the original school for the signature? And how often is it the original school pulled the offer explicitly or implicitly signed better recruits to the position, ran out of space in the class, etc.? I'm sure both happened, but fans on Twitter, we usually believe their school won a battle where both schools wanted the player but lost a recruit that they no longer wanted anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's basically like asking, like, well, who breaks up? Is it the, the when a you know, a couple breaks up, is it the, you know, it doesn't have to be boy or girl, whatever, like A or B, like which side breaks up uh, with the other. It happens both ways a lot. And sometimes you see a school struggling and the guy was like, maybe he was sort of like, I'm going to take a chance on this school. And they're like, yeah, it's not looking so good. I'm going to go somewhere else. And sometimes the school is like, you know, I'll offer you early. And it's sort of like the, you know, you're taking home someone, you know, like you're you're flirting with someone at the bar uh, early in the night because you're just not sure. And then like a more attractive person that you like comes along. You're like, I'm going to go over there. So that happens, too. It's I think it's a pretty wide range. I don't know what, what you think, David. Um, I would say it depends on the school. I think USC, it's probably more of a, yeah, why don't you go away, kid? Um, I think with some other schools, lower level Pac-12 schools, I think it can be much more. Oh, we got a better deal. We're going to go someplace else. Um, I've seen it both ways. I think you're right. I mean, it it, it really depends. Um, but I think it's it, it can't be dependent just on the school itself. Um, yeah. I think if you're a school that doesn't offer a ton of guys, like UCLA, for example, I think most of the time guys are flipping away. It's because they found something better for themselves, not because um, the school is pushing them away. But for some schools that overoffer or, uh, you know, uh, have potential to grow in recruiting quite a bit, just based off of the usual hype, like USC, I think they could be more on the other end where they're pushing guys away a little bit more at the end of the cycle. Yeah, makes um, sense. Have either of you checked out WandaVision on Disney Plus? The show is very good so far, but more confusing than emails about Washington tight end coaches. I watched the first two episodes. Uh, I haven't watched a single bit since. Um, because my time is limited. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it seemed intriguing enough. I mean, I, I, I watch all that stupid Marvel stuff. Like, I've watched every one of those goddamn movies. They're all the same <laughs> fucking thing, but I just do it. Um, and so I'm going to watch this. I don't know if it's just completionism. I, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to watch the whole stupid thing at some point. Um, but, yeah, it's it's the same crap. I mean, it's the, you know, it's the comic booky. you know. She's, you know, in some... TV show, you know, and somebody's probably experimenting on her or something. I don't know, but it looks fun. It looks interesting. Uh, it's well produced. 
all these things are really well produced. They're really slick. So yeah, I'll keep watching it. I'll be a, I'll be a just a, just somebody you know, some slave to the machine that is Disney. That's fine. Um, I have not. Uh, I'm not big into the Marvel stuff. I do have Disney Plus, so I should probably start watching some of that stuff. Um, if this was a show, like I was though, I was attracted to the first commercial I saw, and I was like, "Ooh, this this is like this woman who's like in all these like old TV shows and stuff. Like that's kind of cool." And then I saw like the dude she was with was some like alien thing or something. I'm like, "Oh crap!" And then I started he- like hearing things. I'm like, "Oh, this is like some superhero thing." I'm like, oh, "Okay," but if it was like just a show about like this regular housewife that was like in all these old TV shows. That would have been, but then once the Marvel aspect to it became part of it, I was like, uh, I don't know about this. So I just don't know. I don't know enough so about the Marvel. You just wanted universe. to watch a black and white TV show. That's what I thought it was a neat concept, but then I I don't know enough about the Marvel universe that I was like, it's like I don't want to like oh, open a book to the middle if chapter. If I can something. recommend anything, just don't get started with it. It's okay. Just... I did start to watch um, Yellowstone. Have you seen that one? No, no, I haven't. I, I've Good. so I've I've spent the last like I don't know month or two trying to catch up on some stuff. So I finally watched Succession, and so the have you watched Succession, Ryan? I've not. Okay, so you've got to watch it because, uh, and I I think this needs to be clear. Um, all you people who have watched Succession, how is it that you talk about anything other than Succession? <laughs> like, how do you think about anything else besides like? wow, it must be really fun to write these characters. Like, it is so fun to watch this awful show about these awful people. They're all just horrendous people. Wait, what, uh, so good. what network? What network is it on? It's HBO. Crap, I don't get HBO, so that I'll have to... Oh, then pay not... the $15 and get it. Come on. All right. I mean, I, I don't do watch it. all the things I got. Just like do it's... It. Just do it. Just do it. I knew you were going to say HBO. I'm like, that's why. But then, right. So I followed that up, Ryan... By watching Ted Lasso. Have you watched that? I have I've not. So that's on Apple TV. So I've paid the five bucks for Apple TV to watch that. And it's the complete opposite from Succession. Everyone in the show is perfectly nice. And it's just like this heartwarming like cookie of a, mo- of a show. And I love that too. It's really good. So anyway, two recommendations from this podcast. Succession and Ted Lasso. And I think Ryan has a recommendation of Yellowstone. Yeah, and I'm going to, but I can do Ted Lasso because I have my new iPhone. I think I get the Apple TV for a while, I think. Do it. It's good. Uh, I'm to try that out. It'll make you feel good about life. Nice. Could use that. We could all use that. Um, year eight of the pandemic or wherever. I don't, I've lost track, but. Um, all right, we, we got Peter in Vancouver. And his question is, is Oregon the new USC? Gentlemen. Oregon has been getting a lot of attention recently, with many thinking they could soon be competing for a college football playoff berth. But to me, they look a lot like USC since Pete Carroll left. They have national name recognition. They can recruit nationally. They have had top recruiting classes in the conference and top 10 nationally. They have won just enough to get fans excited, but they've had they have had significant changes among the coaching staff and in 2020 they vastly underperformed the expectations losing two games and barely winning a game they were supposed to win easily mario cristobal's contract was extended but how long does he last as head coach if he can't get them into the playoffs or oregon string along uh like they are doing with clay helton at usc peter in vancouver washington 
Um, it depends on like. I mean, I get what you're saying. Uh, so first, 2020, I think uh, there's going to be a lot of just that was a mulligan year, and I don't think it's going to count for a lot of evaluations of a lot of these coaches. Uh, whether right or wrong, I think that's going to be the attitude. Um, so I don't think that's going to matter significantly. Um, the bit about how long does he last as a head coach if he can't get them into the playoffs, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of room there. There's a lot of wiggle room there. If they don't get into the playoffs, but they win the Pac-12 the next couple of years, um, you know, as like a 10-2 and two team, I don't think he's going to be in any danger. Um, I don't think expectations have risen so far that it's like, oh, playoff or you're going to get fired. Um, I don't think that's the job. Um, now, if they start to, you know, string together a lot of eight and fours, then yeah, I think he could get uh, canned pretty quickly, actually. Because, uh, frankly, that would be way underperforming what they're recruiting like. Um, you know, if you consistently recruit as a top 10, top 12 class... Uh, you should start producing some top 10, top 12 teams. Um, and, you know, going 8-4 and four, or even 9-3 and three, um, isn't quite at that level. So uh, I think he's going to have to produce some elite double-digit win teams. Um, but he's done that once already. We'll see what it looks like after this year. I'm not completely sold on him as, like, a you know top-tier coach. Uh, but the talent, you know, that level of talent will uh, will sometimes just figure things out on its own. And I don't know about the comparison. I mean, there's I get the points Peter's making, but as far as like stringing along like Clay Helton, it's just that's more of incompetence where they didn't want to bring anyone that was powerful and, and good as a head coach and just kind of keep whatever they were doing, you know, going. I think when they extended Cristobal, like they're trying to win. Like they feel he can be a guy. They're recruiting at an elite level. They feel like he can be the guy. Um, I think that's a completely different deal and as far as the 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 latter years of Pete Carroll that was like you know coming down off the roller coaster where you still had a lot of success but not probably where they should have been I mean Pete Carroll didn't he was different than Nick Saban and that's what's the most impressive thing for me about Saban is like making a run and keeping it going are two different things and I think when Pete Carroll had success he started to try to create his own coaching tree and like promote graduate assistants and all this stuff where Nick Saban is just like, all right, well, I lose the best defensive coordinator. I'm going to go out and get the next best defensive coordinator. I don't need to like promote my linebacker coach who was a graduate assistant last year. And because I'm Nick Saban, he's going to be great. You know, he just goes out and gets the best and is able to keep it going. So I think that the comparisons are just different, but I get what you're saying. They're like, they're not there. I mean, those Pete Carroll teams, the problem was with the playoff, like some of those Pete Carroll teams, they weren't good enough to be, they would screw up at like Oregon State or something and not be in the top two, but they probably would have still been in the playoffs. And then you can kind of flip the switch and maybe they would have won some more titles. Um, Oregon's not there yet, but they're obviously they're banking that Chris Ball can get them there. So not, I'm not sure I buy the comparisons. Yeah, I agree. I don't think uh, they're USC yet. Um, besides the uh, obvious recruiting at a pretty elite level. Yeah. Um, I think the rest of the things are spam. So. Cool. We love spam. I was like, oh, we got a couple emails left. Like, oh, no, one's an insurance nope. quote. And we one's... can get auto insurance for the Pac-12 podcast, and uh, we can get fan merch through Tee Public. Great. Don't even know what those are. But okay. We do merch at some point, right? People that would be great. They'd love a ferocious T-shirt. How cool would that be? Herocious. We'd have to have a debate on how you four, spell it. Four people would buy it. <laughs> I think more would buy it. 
Well, no, I'm, I'm talking about half our listener base would buy it, but still, that's four. <laughs> Awesome. Well, great uh, questions, everyone. Thank you uh, for doing those. And uh, so, again, I apologize. I'm not in the studio. My stupid staff was in there. I didn't even realize. So um, it's good, though. I feel like it's being used. My, you know, if I'm leasing out this space, I need it to be used, David. So That's great. If they weren't uh, there, you should have fired them all. <laughs> that's a good point. You guys are all fired. Um, all right. Well, that's going to wrap things up. I think we still have to – we probably have to go over our preseason picks, right? We never did that. Is that something we could do? Yeah, or should do. sure. What the hell? We could do that. Um, we'll come up with some other stuff. But, yeah, so recruiting's done. Um, moving on. I guess they're still with the, the JT kid in uh, Washington hasn't signed somewhere. But you still got, like, a five-star out there. But, you know, for the most part, recruiting's done. And we'll move forward towards uh, 2021 and hopefully spring football. I think there's been some people that have scheduled their spring practices. We'll kind of get um, – Oh, I know. Some- I know you'll stay on it. I'm on it. Yeah. Uh, I will get I will get on that and find out what's going on. Well, I don't I mean you gotta you gotta clear your calendar. Yeah, if we actually get spring games again. But I need to get the I'd have to get Sling again for a little bit to get the Pac twelve oh, network. Yeah, I think you'll pay any price. I think Sling could up it to hundred <laughs> bucks a month and you'd be like, Well, <laughs> it's spring football, baby. I would not for that, but uh, I I will try to watch it. Um, all right, yes, yeah, so we'll get on that. We'll do we'll start doing like previews and things and, and whatever but keep sending in the emails uh please leave us the 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 reviews the five-star ratings are awesome on uh, apple Podcasts. we do appreciate those so thanks for keep doing that that is david woods i am ryan abraham thanks so much for tuning in to our little show the podcast of champions and we will talk to you next time goodbye okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.